0: Now we're in a series and today is when we finish up that series and it is on holiness and we've said just a couple of things along the way. It's been pretty simple. We've said that God is holy and he calls his people to be holy. What do we mean that he is holy? We mean that he is unique and he is morally pure. No sin whatsoever involved with him. He calls us To be holy as well. What does that mean? Well, on the one hand, it means we're already holy. We have been made holy by God through faith in Jesus Christ. He alone makes us righteous. If we weren't that way, we couldn't even relate to God to begin with. On the other hand, though, that's our position. Our practices that we are to strive for holiness. We're to live it out. This takes effort. This is totally a work of God. We're just agreeing, yep, I'm a sinner. Surrender the controls over here. This requires great effort. It is hard work. We will be worn out. Now, we said this, it's is a general characteristic. Now, today we get into the specifics of what does it look like for us to pursue this holy life? How do we do that actually? It's one thing to know that we should do that, but how do the scriptures guide us? And what does it look like to say yes to righteousness and no to sin, And how do we do that in increasing measures? What does that battle actually look like? I want to make a statement to you because I don't think that this is taught enough when we talk about uh, uh, holiness. What is the driving motivation for holiness? Week number one, we said because God is holy. Okay, that's knowledge. We can know that that is true. But knowledge doesn't drive the heart. So what is the driving motivation? What should be the driving motivation? What must become the driving motivation for the Christian to pursue a life of holiness? We can give the Sunday school answer and say, it's just for the glory of God. Great. What does that mean? Because God is fully glorious. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't look to us to gain anything. There's nothing he needs from us. What, What do we mean this is for God's glory? I'm going to lean in heavily today on one particular theologian and author, not because he has the only answers to this, but I just think his wording is the best. And I think he gives us the clearest picture of this. And he summarized a lot of thoughts from a lot of theologians over the years. So if you've never heard the name John Piper, get used to it this morning. Piper has said some things that are very helpful. Listen, God is most glorified in us. When our hearts satisfaction, when we are most delighted, when we are are most satisfied in him. Hear this. God is most glorified. He receives the greatest glory. He looks and appears the best to the whole world. When? When Christians are delighted, are satisfied in the person of God. Now, it does not take long to understand this concept. If you have any friend, if you have a, any significant relationship, it could be um, a, a friend that uh, is just a dear, dear friend. It could be platonic. could be something that you're hoping will lead towards marriage. Maybe you're married right now. What is the greatest compliment that your spouse or your friend could receive? Would it not be this? Man. He, she loves me and is so satisfied with our relationship. Is there a wife in the building or watching online anywhere that would say, I would hate if my husband said, I am so deeply satisfied in my relationship with you. Like when I look at you and talk with you, my heart comes alive. I'm attracted to you in every sense of the word, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. That I, You, it seems as if you're the only woman in the world. Now, some of you ladies may be saying, I really hope he doesn't say I don't want to spend that much time with him. No, come on, you know, you know. That's one of the greatest compliments. How about your friend? Wouldn't it be the same through the two sixth-grade boys, just a platonic friendship. Would be great. One just says, "Dude, I just can't thank you enough because I, when I'm around you, I just have more peace. I just love being around you. I, I feel like, well, I feel like God has given me a big hug through our friendship." Can we think of a greater compliment that we could receive than to know that someone is satisfied in relationship? This is how God is most glorified when we are most satisfied. When we say there is no other need for me to pursue any other worthless, impotent God, God is most glorified at that moment. John Piper says this, and I, I think this is a sermon I wish I could remember. I think think it's a sermon. He says this Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world. I'm sorry, in the word and in the world. I'm going to say it again. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word. And in the world, what's our motivation for a holy life? Please hear this. Joy. Joy must become a driving motivation for our soul. Do you know what will not work? You may have actually been inspired the last two weeks because the Holy Spirit is inside of you saying, yep, I want that. Yes, I want to pursue that. Yeah, it may be this, this brave heart uh, fruit kind of thing, something stirring inside of you, but what won't last is if you just say, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be holy. What you need to pursue, you need to pursue joy. Pursue God's glory. Pursue your own satisfaction. And you're never going to find satisfaction outside of the triune God. So today, this is what we'll see. Joy is the result of a holy life. But joy also helps produce a holy life. Joy results from it but then joy also helps to produce it. Now, make one more statement to you we dig into Galatians into Romans chapter 6 here. A holy life is going to be lived only by one way, and that is if we walk by the spirit. Galatians 5 tells us if we walk by the spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Later on in Galatians 5 it gives you two very good pictures right here. Here's what it looks like to walk in the flesh. And it's a whole bunch of, you know, all sorts of bad things. It's like those commercials you hear on TV for the medications. They get to the end of it. They tell you, here's the 1,000 things that could possibly go wrong with your body. Okay, that's the list there in Galatians 5. Here's all the bad things of walking in the flesh. Here's the good things about walking in the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Walking in the Spirit produces this. Walking in the flesh produces this over here. We only live a holy life, boom, for the spirit. Here's the results of it. We only live a holy life when we walk by the spirit. What does that mean? It sounds good. I like having the word "spirit" in there, Walking, His control. all that sounds very good. It's theory. How do we actually do that? Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter six. And we're going to see what this looks like. One more quote from John Piper. Walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. Big picture. When the desires that are produced by the Holy Spirit inside of us, are deep yearnings, deep longings. When those desires become more attractive to us than the desires that are generated by my own flesh, that's when we walk by the Spirit. But it takes care work. It takes effort. It's hard. Romans chapter 6, begin reading with me in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Now here's what we're going to do. We are not going to be able to walk through each and every verse line by line, precept by precept. I'm going to give you the big thoughts that are in this section right here. So Galatians 6 divided up into two sections. The first section we just read, what is it trying to tell us? We are dead to sin but alive to God. That's the big picture. You need to hear this. Several times you heard me inflect. There are words that are used in there. No. How many times the word no, K-N-O-W, show up. What are we to know? We are to know what God has done in order to make us dead to sin, but alive to God. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to sin anymore. That sin that you have right now in your mind that has been kicking your tail for years, do you know what's true about that? You don't have to give in. That sin by Christ, by Christ's life, death, and resurrection, what he has done is he has taken that sinful desire inside of you. He has rendered it actually powerless. It doesn't hold mastery over you. You don't have to give in to it. The two most common sins, this is a a massive uh, uh, stereotype that we have here. Two most common sins for women, the most common one is gossip. For men, the most common one is lust. You do not have to gossip. You may choose to do it, but you don't have to. Because of Christ Jesus That no longer has mastery over you. You don't have to lust. You may choose to do it, but you don't have to because it no longer has control over you. Let this sink in. Let this sink in from a guy who knows what it's like to be enslaved to the power of alcohol. For the Christian. The Christian is no longer, spiritually speaking, bound to sin. We are dead to sin. The old man has gone away. The person I was, spiritually speaking, before coming to Christ, was spiritually dead. Correct? David. Old David. Before coming to Christ, that dude is is Rough. Only and always desires that which is contrary to God's will. Even though I may desire moral things, I'm desiring that which is contrary to God. Once I came to faith in Christ Jesus, that David, according to Romans 6, is crucified. He is he, That David died with Christ. That David received the punishment through Christ for all of his sins. Christ bore the brunt of it. David was dead. Guess which David came back up? The new David. You are a new creation. That guy has now been raised to life with Christ. That guy now has the potential to walk in obedience to Christ. The old guy is always and only going to sin. He's dead. He's spiritually corrupt. That guy is done away. He has been rendered powerless for me. No longer do I have to obey this thing called the flesh. So know it. Look what he says in here. It says, know in verse 3, know that we were baptized into Christ's death. In verse 6, know that the old self was crucified so that we're no longer slaves to sin. In verse 9, know that Christ will never again experience death. If Christ doesn't experience death, we will never experience death because we were already dead, raised again. Now we walk with God. So know those things. Know what God has done. Okay, first thing. Second thing, consider. Verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The first one is just know what God has done. Now consider what this means for you. Intellectually, in theory, know all of the things that God has done. It's true. I don't have to. So now consider what does that mean then for me? What does it mean? When I'm getting ready to lose my temper with, you throw it in, friend, spouse, child. What does it mean when I have the opportunity to gossip? Consider. In light of all that God said, consider what it means for you now. Finally, in verse 13 here, he says this. Do not present members of your body to uh, your members as uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present them to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Now it gets really, really practical. First of all, I want to know what it is that God has done. I want to remind myself once again when temptation gets large, I want to remember I don't have to sin. God has already given me the power that is necessary to resist this particular sin. I may not believe it at that moment, but it is true. I need to consider what does that mean for me right now? What do I need to put into practice? And then, here's, and then present the members of your body. So let's take, let's take gossip. I want to present the, this particular member of my body over to the Lord. Go back to Romans chapter 12, the altar that's there. We're going to crawl up on that altar, make ourselves a living sacrifice for it. I want to put my mouth on an altar and I want to say, God, right now in this moment, I want to consecrate my mouth and I want you to use this mouth not for unrighteous purposes, not to defame this other, not to bring them down. I want you to use this for actually good purposes. Know that you don't have to gossip. Consider what it means for you right now in this particular moment and then offer your mouth as a living sacrifice saying, God, please don't let me get away with ruin. It's how one man, a hero of mine, not John Piper, another theologian says, no, consider, present, KCP. How do you walk in the spirit? No, consider, present, Can I just show you practically what this looks like? When I was uh, in AA and uh, walking through uh, rehab, there were several moments in which uh, the the power of alcohol um, in my mind uh, was was so big. And I, I just, I couldn't resist it. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But the driving reason was this. I believed at some fundamental level that I was better off with alcohol than I was without it. I thought I was funnier. I thought I, I, I made um, wilder, crazier decisions, which made people more endeared to me. Okay, there, there's lots of reasons, but I thought I was better. I thought this would be a better decision to pursue this than to not pursue this. Now, I had all of the spirituality of a drunk. And so I had no context for experience of what it was like to walk in obedience and to taste what it's like to dwell in the presence of God in the midst of temptation. I had no experience of that. Many of you have heard this story. You know it. The gentleman came along in his 20s. Share with me that Christ is the higher power. I I come to faith. At that point, I began walking in, with God and, and and God changed something going on inside of me. But but hear this. What became more attractive was as I began to meet with God, I noticed because I didn't never again have a drink, I didn't never again get drunk. As a Christian, I got drunk again. I made poor decisions. But I'm gonna tell you when I did get drunk again in my late teens and early 20s. It did nothing for my soul like what happened when I said, oh God, right now I am believing some lies. I know that this is not true. I know you're better, but God, I'm going to give you these hands. And I'm going to ask that you not let Not let me get away with putting these hands around any drink that would be bad for me right now. And I'm going to give you my mouth as well. And Lord, let nothing come into this mouth that is not going to be pleasing to you right now. And I had to strain and stress and struggle. And I had to try as best as I could to resist Going for the bottle. And I also had to believe that God was going to give me the grace that was sufficient. In that moment to keep striving. And to keep holding on. And to keep pressing through. And to keep resisting. And he did. And then there would come that moment in which the wave of temptation had, had, had gone away. The intensity of it had gone away. And I was able to sit And there in obedience dwell in the presence of God. And oh, was it sweet. And two weeks later, I may have gone and I may have given in to that temptation. I may have put the bottle in hand and I didn't walk it. I didn't believe God, I didn't trust God. And this was miserable. Then I would come back and I would obey again. And this was so miserable sweet. And over time, what happened was the joy of being in God's presence, the joy of walking in obedience became far more attractive to me than sinning. Did it mean that I no longer ever desired to sin again? Oh, come on. It meant that this was more attractive I wanna show you just one picture here real quick and then what we're gonna see, and it's gonna be really fast as we fly through the next few passages of scripture, but, but I want you to see this principle. Know, consider, present, strive, trusting in God. You know what we want in our Christian pilgrimage? We want that the more time that goes on in our spiritual pilgrimage, we want our faith to increase greatly. So when we talk about walking spirit, we say, okay, time, faith. And we want that to be, they call it a one-to-one graph. It's a 45-degree angle of the graph. We want it to look just like this, steady, secure, sure, all the time, always increasing, never going down, just, just this happy, Increase in faith that God's becoming more and more attractive to me over time. And it is just fantastic. And God is bigger today than he was yesterday. And sin is so little today compared to yesterday. I just don't need sin anymore. It's not attractive at all. That's what we want. Has that been your experience? Here's what really happens. We go along for a little bit. and Now, look at this. When we go down like this, that means that we failed to walk in the spirit. We failed to believe God. We failed to trust God. We didn't trust. We didn't have the faith at that moment. What does God do in those moments? Does he kick us out? Does he throw us off the road? Did he say, you are worthless servants. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God know this, that the day previous to this, you had the faith to get through what you needed to get through yesterday. So what does God do? He gives you something more that requires more faith. Because your faith is going to grow because God is obsessed with turning you into the image of his son, reflecting him to such a degree. So if you stay where you are right now, you're gonna stay a very immature version of Jesus. So God is always on the move, giving you more than you can handle, but not more than you and God can handle. And so we go on our journey and we fail and we go, it's the stock market. That's what our spiritual pilgrimage is like. So please hear this. The more time that goes on and the more our faith increases, guess what actually is occurring in our faith? It has not become easier to walk in the spirit it becomes harder to walk in the spirit over time because more faith is required and simultaneously God is opening your eyes to see just the greater depths of your sin we shared this illustration before I I, uh, I'm going to say it again because I think it's worth it friend of mine worked in a tower radar walk into him Show me what it looks like. Brand new tower in the huge Montgomery airport, Danley Field that was there. He says, I want you to see the radar here in the Danley Field. Looked on there and there's one plane on there. It was an F-15, F-16 it's doing touch and goes right there at Danley Field. He says, watch this. He takes the radar, blows it up bigger. Now I got Birmingham and I got past Auburn, godforsaken town. I got other places there. It's a little bit bigger, and so now we get to see some of those planes that are coming, and we get to see some of the other planes that are going through and making their way to another city. And so what was just Montgomery, just a little bit here, now when that radar got bigger, I could see more and more. And then he said, but now watch this. He says, and it takes it out so that we can see the Atlanta airport. Atlanta Hartsfield International. It's like one giant white blob. Planes everywhere all over the place with that. That's what God does in our sin life. We get started out in our sin that radar is right here. We see all that we're aware of. We go, oh, "This is great, man." The Holy Spirit comes; He does the work, around, cleans it up. Woo! We're walking by faith. We're walking in the Spirit. This is great. <laughs> oh Lord, that's sin, really? Ah, oh, uh, I, I, I trust you, God. You got to do a work in my heart. I, 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 we get to see some victory in there. We're walking in obedience. We're tasting the satisfaction of being with Him. <laughs> See, if God would have given us the Atlanta radar to start out with, would you have ever even tried to walk with him? Paul, at the end of his life, says, I am the chief among all sinners. That's not Paul with false humility. That's not Paul saying, yeah, I better say something to make you guys feel good because I'm pretty doggone good. Paul's radar is just a lot bigger than mine. Walking in the spirit, no consider, present. Now, this is very, very fast. I'm just going to touch on Romans. I'm sorry, the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 16. I'm only going to read with you beginning in the last few verses. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in his uh, at night also. His heart, my heart, instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you're not abandoned. My My soul to shield, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's what he's telling us that joy is the result of a holy life. Back when I worked with uh, Delta Airlines, shared that radar story, there was one particular night. Now, keep in mind, God had been gracious to me in my life growing up, and I had been exposed to very, very little in, in my in my childhood. Very, very little. Um, but when I got older, um, uh, I uh, saw adult material. And something inside of, of my heart, that which the flesh produces, um... Uh, um it was Sin City. And this became a, a struggle. And on one particular night while we're cleaning out the airplanes uh, there that are, that are parked uh, overnight for the evening. And the next one will fly out at 6 a.m. Um, I'm cleaning out, pulling out things. And, and there was a particular magazine. And at this point, I really am walking with the Lord. And the entire time that I'm cleaning, I'm trying to figure out my head, how do I set this up so that I can hide it and then be able to view it uh, later on uh, when I'm in the, uh, away from other people? And so I'm cleaning this plane and the Holy Spirit is just tapping on the shoulder. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, I'm here. I will give you strength. And I promise you, being with me is going to be a whole lot more satisfying, and my flesh is crying out, no, 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 this is what I want, and the spirit inside of me is saying, no, 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 This one. and there is this battle that has taken place, and the entire time I'm cleaning this thing up, I cannot decide what it is that I'm going to do until finally at the end, right when we put all of our little trash into the big trash, I say, Lord take this thing away, and I throw that magazine into the big trash. And here's what happened. My first thought was, why did I do that? And then right after that, this overwhelming sense of peace. And for that moment right there, I was not going to use another human being Whom I don't know, have never met, not even view as a person made in the image of God, but used them solely for my entertainment. For that moment, I said, God, this feels good. (laughs) There was joy that resulted from obedience. John 15, 10-11 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is the result of a holy life, but joy also helps produce a holy life. I don't have time to unpack this, but please hear this. this is Nehemiah talking to his people as they are rebuilding. Well, he says this, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved, why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. My joy that God produces from obedience is fantastic, but God's joy that he gives to me as we fellowship with one another overpowers sin. Until we make this shift in our minds that I'm going to pursue joy, just trying to pursue a holy life for the sake of being better ain't gonna last. Close with this John Piper, you have some steps, they have not been as helpful for me as the ones that I gave you right then. No, consider present. They have not been, but but I've heard others say these have been tremendously beneficial, so I just want to pass them on to you. How does he describe walking in spirit? He says it this way: Aptat. (laughs) Admit you need God. That's the A. Pray for his help. That's the P. Trust in his promises. There may be some particular promise that you need to remind yourself of that God can get you through this particular moment. That's the T: trust. A: Act in his guidance. And then T, thank Him in all things. Admit, pray, trust, act, think. Regardless of what it is, here's what we need to hear. My friends, walking in the Spirit, practically speaking, involves it involves your effort. But your hope can never stay in your effort. You must believe that as you attempt to walk in obedience to God, walking in the direction of God, you must believe that he will give you the strength that is necessary. And the strength that he gives you for this particular sin right now may not be enough for one that's coming two hours later and you're gonna have to walk again all through and say, God, I know, I'm gonna consider, I'm gonna present. And the strength that you have at that moment might not be enough for the one that's coming two days from then. You got to know, you got to consider, you got to present, but keep walking. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I promise you this, the joy of walking in obedience.